0: and thank you for joining me on this episode of the Emotional Alchemy podcast. Before we get into our conversation today, I want to share that the doors for Business Alchemist Mentorship are now open. I created this program to help space holders step toward their in-person or online businesses as a spiritual practice. I know you have medicine you want to share with the world and honestly, this is why I feel so passionate about this work as a business mentor. It makes my heart feel expansive and warm when I think about how different this world would be if you as a pattern breaker and as a change maker felt empowered about sharing your work with your community. It's my way of shifting the tide of extractivist, capitalistic ways of existing. I will be your guide so you can explore the emotional blocks that keep you spinning in circles and I share practical nuts and bolts principles that will keep your business humming along. We try to keep a solid balance of yin and yang around here. This program is centered on safety, intimate connection with community, and moving at the pace of trust, nature, and purpose. The curriculum and coaching I share is framed on the backdrop of my experience as a trauma-informed practitioner. If you're feeling curious, go check out my website, businessalchemistmentorship.com. We will begin this next cohort in mid-June, and it will be the only time I'm running it in 2024. I recently did an entire overhaul of the curriculum and felt that it needed a whole year to move through instead of the nine-month program it used to be, and I'm keeping it at this nine-month price one last time before I raise prices in 2025. Again, the website is businessalchemistmentorship.com and I would love to have you join our community. Welcome to the Empowered Curiosity Podcast. Today we're going to talk about body sovereignty. Now, essentially, we all have a body and we all have a story about our body. In particular, we all grow up with stories about what we are allowed to do and not allowed to do with our bodies. And also, in turn, we have stories about what other people should do or not do with their bodies. Today, I've asked Lindsay Lockett to come on the podcast and share her wisdom about body sovereignty. She and I are two people who view the world through a trauma-informed lens, and we've been seeing the wounds around bodies on full display in our current events. Things like lifelong friendships being dismantled over thoughts about the vaccine, families making agreements about not talking about certain topics at the dinner table, It's hard to bridge the gaps in opinions and see the humanity in another person who has a different lived experience than ourselves and therefore has a different thought and perhaps a different perspective than ourselves. What I found so healing about this conversation with Lindsay is that she is somebody who embodies her story so unapologetically and so unflinchingly that her story of trauma has alchemized into medicine. And from this place, she shares her wisdom about what body sovereignty actually means. So what that means to live, breathe, and share that with her community. For those of you who don't know, Lindsay Lockett is the host of the Holistic Trauma Healing Podcast, and she uses that platform to educate her community about trauma in a fully integrated approach that melds together the physical, the mental, the emotional, spiritual, and ancestral parts of beings. I walked away from this conversation feeling so inspired, and just with different nuances being woken up about body sovereignty, and I hope that this inspires you in the same way. Welcome to the Empowered Curiosity podcast. I have so been looking forward to this conversation with Lindsay Lockett. I feel like I... Lindsay, like, you're one of the few pages that I hop onto on an almost daily basis, just because I'm like, okay, so like, what does she have to say about what's going on in the world right now? (laughs) So um, I so, so appreciate your perspective. Um, There's a lot that we want to talk about today. But I specifically asked Lindsay to come on to share her thoughts about body sovereignty. Um, These, we're going to weave in both of our teachings around trauma and specifically, I want to talk about what's been going on in the collective in regards to body sovereignty, trauma and the coronavirus and the vaccine. So this is going to be a bit of an edgy conversation. It might feel a little bit activating for folks, um, but know that we have your safety, your best interests in mind, and, and just sort of keep that in the back of your mind um, as you're listening in on this conversation. So thank you so much for being here, Lindsay.
1: It's an honor, Kat. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.
0: So I would love for you to just share what body sovereignty means to you and and where that, that perspective comes from, because I think you have such a unique take on, on this.
1: No, thanks. Well, um, for me, body sovereignty is, it falls under the umbrella of sovereignty, which is just, I am my own person. Um, Mm -hmm. I can trust myself. I can guide myself. This comes from a place of loving myself. Um, And because I'm sovereign, I I stay in my lane and I let other people stay in their lane. And Mm -hmm. I'm not trying to tell anyone what to do with their body and i would appreciate people not telling me what to do with my body mm-hmm. um i i see sovereignty as sort of the goal that we're trying to get to when we're on a healing journey so in my work i always always want to point people back to themselves Um, if you're feeling uncomfortable about something, what's coming up for you, like always going back to yourself, not looking outside of yourself for something to blame or someone to be the enemy or, um, you know, anything like that. It's just, it really is about like being your own person. And I see sovereignty as being inextricably linked with boundaries, And Mm -hmm. my belief about boundaries is I am my own person and so are you. Mm -hmm. And I am free and so are you. And Mm -hmm. I recognize that you are your own person and you have decisions to make for yourself that I don't understand the context for you. I don't understand the history of that for you. I don't understand what comes up for you because your perspective is not my perspective. Mm -hmm. And the same is true for me. And so when it comes to our bodies, and if we're particularly talking about medical decisions, I think that we have to be really careful when we make blanket generalized recommendations or statements for people. Because, again, I feel like that denies them their sovereignty when we start telling them what to do with their bodies. Mm-hmm. Um, is it okay if I share a story from my own life about like how I, okay. So when I was, okay, amazing. So when I was pregnant with my son who he's 17 now, Mm -hmm. (laughs) but when I was pregnant with my son at 33 weeks, I started having contractions and Mm -hmm. they were coming regularly, like every five minutes. And so It was my first pregnancy, and I was really young, and I didn't really know what to expect. And so we decided to go to the emergency room to get checked out. And they gave me a couple different medications. One was an oral medication, and one was a shot. And neither of them stopped my contractions. And so they decided to put me on what's called a magnesium sulfate drip. Mm-hmm. So it was an IV drip of magnesium sulfate, which is Epsom salts. Um, and this was supposed to like put so much magnesium into my body that all of my muscles would relax, including my uterus, and that would stop the contractions. But in order for me to be on this magnesium sulfate drip, I had to be admitted to the hospital. I had to be on total bed rest. Um and before they put me on the magnesium drip. Neither my husband nor I remember being uh, told like what the complications or side effects from being on the strip could be. It was just presented to us as this is what we need to do to keep your baby inside of you. This is what you need to do to protect your baby. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, because that's what parents do is we listen to people in white coats with stethoscopes around their necks and with name tags that say Dr. Whatever on their on their coat, and we we make the decision that we think we're supposed to make because we have this expert here who's telling us that this is the decision we're supposed to make.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Well, 14 days later, I was taken off the magnesium sulfate drip. Um, while I was on it for that entire 14 days, like every evening, it's like the magnesium would uh, like spike or peak in my body, and I would get really, really sick. Um, my heart would be doing like weird things. I would feel really nauseous. I would start vomiting. Um, this, this drips medication made me like really, really hot. So even though it was the dead of winter, we had the air conditioner in my hospital room turned down as low as it could go. Everyone who came in was freezing all the time, except me. I was laying in bed, like swollen, like a whale. And my cheeks were just like so red. Like I had a terrible sunburn. And every evening whenever I would get sick, they would send a lab tech in who would take my blood. And after like three or four days of this, finally my husband and I were like, why do you send a lab tech in every day when, when I start getting sick like this? Like what's going mm-hmm. on? And my mm-hmm. doctor is like, oh, because being on this magnesium sulfate drip um, can cause you to have magnesium toxicity, which can create cardiovascular and pulmonary problems for you later. And I was just like, oh, okay. And at the time, I wasn't thinking like, wait a minute, you didn't tell me that before you put me on this. I was still under the mindset of like, you're the authority. I'm supposed to be doing what you're saying. This is quote unquote for the good of my baby. And like, I'm just going to keep doing it. Well, then after two weeks, one day my doctor came in and she said, okay, your your blood work is coming back. You have toxic levels of magnesium. You're going to start experiencing cardiovascular and pulmonary problems. So the risk for you staying on this magnesium sulfate drip is more for you than it is for you to deliver your baby at this point. So they took me off the drip. And three days later, they released me from the hospital. Um, My son was not born until 40 weeks and one day. (laughs) So um, but like basically, as I've been noticing all of these conversations about um, the COVID-19 vaccine and vaccine mandates and places um, passing laws that unvaccinated people can't go to gyms or restaurants or fly on airplanes or whatever, um, that story came up for me. And I realized that there was a whole level of trauma around that story that I hadn't processed yet because I hadn't Mm -hmm. realized how traumatic it was. And that was Mm -hmm. that I was told, or A, I wasn't given the potential side effects and complications that could happen from taking this medication. I was Mm -hmm. just told that this is what I needed to do to save my baby. This was for the good of my baby. And of course, with that kind of pressure and particularly with the pressure on mothers, we just do what we're told because if something were to happen, we believe like bad, if my baby would have died or been born premature or something, I would have, I know I would have believed that it was my fault. Um, Mm -hmm. for not doing everything I could to protect my baby, even though I didn't even know the risks, the side effects, the potential long-term and short-term consequences that could Mm -hmm. happen in my body because of this medication. Mm -hmm. I've since learned that the maximum recommended time to be on a magnesium sulfate drip is 48 to 72 hours. Um, I was on it for two weeks, Yep. um, I think probably the only reason I didn't have long-term complications was because I was only 20 years old and I was really healthy otherwise. I think, mm-hmm. like if I had been older or if I had had other health complications, the story may have been different.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, I also think that there was this false sense of urgency that was created in the hospital or or among the doctors and nurses, and I've since talked to several medical professionals, both people who are still in the medical profession and people who've left the medical profession because of ethical reasons. Um, I've, i spoken to those people and they've told me that it's very, very common for doctors and nurses to create a sense of urgency mm-hmm. where there isn't a sense of urgency in order to get you to make the decision that they want you to make. Yep. Um, and so that definitely was the case for me because true labor is defined by either like your water has broken or your cervix is dilating. Yeah. Um, neither was the case for me. In fact, in the 17 days that I was in the hospital, my cervix was checked every single day, sometimes twice a day, and it never dilated even half a centimeter. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't actually in active labor. Like my mm-hmm. baby wasn't actually in danger. There was this sense of urgency created along with the like – the the like guilting, shaming, uh, manipulative narrative of like you have to do this for the good of your baby, yeah. And I see now how I didn't actually have a choice in mm-hmm. that situation. I mm-hmm. didn't actually get to make an informed choice. And an informed choice means you're told all the benefits, all the risks, all the potential side effects and complications, the ingredients of whatever it is that is is being put into your body, the procedure, if it's a surgery, like you're given all that information and then you get to make a choice. That's informed consent. That did not happen for me Mm -hmm. in the hospital Mm -hmm. at all. Not even close. Mm -hmm. Um, so I share this to say that I see a lot of similarities between my own story and what's happening in the collective right now, mm-hmm. and that is that we have people who see doctors in white coats with stethoscopes around their necks as experts, as mm-hmm. the authority in what's mm-hmm. going on, and that's not to say that they're not authorities. like mm-hmm. they, they clearly like are qualified to do their jobs, or they wouldn't be in this line of work. They wouldn't have mm-hmm. the credentials to do that job, yeah. but... Again, there's also this like sense of urgency created with the COVID-19 vaccine. And we can all remember, or at least I do anyway, um, in February of 2020, before the pandemic was even declared, I told my Instagram audience at that time, like, watch out. This is going to lead to a mandatory vaccination. This is going to lead to people's medical freedoms being taken away from them. Mm -hmm. Like just watch out, just keep your eyes open. And this was February of 2020. So the Mm -hmm. pandemic was still a month away from being declared and we followed it the entire time. And sure enough, that's what it's led to. And so I see that, that we see doctors and, and nurses with credentials and we perceive them as authorities then this false sense of urgency is created. Like you have to get this vaccine right now. Like this is the only way we're going to save the world is if if we get this vaccine right now, or this is the only way that we're going to be able to open the world up again and go back to quote unquote normal is, yep. is for everyone to get this vaccine. So there's this sense of urgency created. And then there's this sense of like, it's for the good of the collective.
0: Mm-hmm. Like
1: no matter what your own personal hesitations might be, you need to do this because it's for the good of the collective. Mm -hmm. Kind of like it's for the good of your baby.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: And I'm not saying that I would have made a different decision about having the magnesium sulfate drip when I was in preterm labor. If if I had been given all of the information to make the decision and had chosen to stay on that magnesium sulfate drip, like it would have been my choice at least. But I see the whole it's for the good of the collective being used – as a way to manipulate and guilt people into making a choice that perhaps does not align with them, or perhaps it's just a choice they're not ready to make yet. And like, that's my personal choice right now. Like I am at a point right now with the COVID-19 vaccine where I'm not pro-vax. I'm also not anti-vax. I'm at a place right now of just like, you know what? I'm going to wait. Like, I'm going to wait. I'm going to let this thing get some time I'm going to see like what people are experiencing in the short term and in the long term. I'm going to like wait for there to be FDA approval on more than one shot. Um, I'm going to, I'm just waiting. I'm in this place of just waiting and I don't feel rushed. I don't feel pressured. I don't feel guilty. I don't feel manipulated. And anyone who tells me, well, you just need to do it because it's for the good of the collective or you're selfish if you don't do it or like you're Personal freedom shouldn't violate collective health or whatever. Like, because I am a sovereign person and I trust myself to make my own decisions and to guide myself, I don't allow that kind of chatter <laughs> to influence me one way or the other. And right. if it had been even a couple years ago, that the story might be different. You know, yeah. I might still be really influenceable. <laughs> Um, I might still be like buying into that, that I need to do something, even if it doesn't sit right with me um, for the good of the collective. And maybe eventually that is the decision I make. But if it is, it's going to come from a place of complete sovereignty and trust in myself. And it's not going to come from feeling pressured on the outside or feeling guilted or manipulated.
0: Yeah. There is... I've been furiously writing notes because I want to circle back to so many things. First of all, thank you for, for sharing that story. And I, and I do see the parallels and I'm similar to you um, in that, like, I'm not anti-vax. I'm not pro-vax. I, I have gotten vaccinated, but it came from a place of sovereignty and, and it was interesting being confronted with this decision, because again, similar to you, like, and I think that this is why we need to talk about trauma in this conversation is because there were so many layers of trauma that I had to move past in order to come to a sovereign place of making the decision to get the vaccine for the reasons that I got it. And, um, and I think that there's, there's a lot of this, back and forth between the two sides Mm. um, in terms of like I just see it as people's traumas on display you know and and it's really about like understanding where that fear is coming from and understanding that place where you Mm. may have been wounded and that's not been completely resolved so that you can make a sovereign decision but I want to circle back to your story because one of the things that I wrote down is education without omission versus hierarchy. And this is where I think our medical system and and I was in the medical system for a long time and I worked in fertility medicine um, for five years and and I don't know if you saw my eyes widen when when you told me that you were on magnesium sulfate for two weeks. I was just like, "Excuse me, what? Like yeah. this is this is not okay." Um, because your organs are not meant to process that much magnesium, and and the doses I know that they give um, women when they're in preterm labor is is really really high. Like we we are not meant to access that much magnesium, but. Um, There's, when we have authority figures telling us this is what we should do and, and they're doing it through these, as you say, like coming from a place of, of urgency and, and, and when you create urgency, there is almost this way of like, you have to omit information to create that urgency, Versus allowing the education to come through and telling the, the person who owns that body um, to really weigh out the pros and cons of each medical decision that's being made. You know, Mm -hmm. and like you were saying, you weren't given the pros and cons of this choice. And and you may have ended up making the same choice. But ultimately, like what it comes down to and what I'm hearing in in your frustration and and one of the places that I think is probably your um, your purpose in life is really to bring light to this conversation around we need to be educating people about their bodies and we need to be. Really laying out all of the different choices, um, and we need to allow people to make decisions from their own body space, instead of manipulating people into a choice that they may or may not make. You know, mm-hmm. and and I'm seeing it on both sides, mm-hmm. right like on one side we're calling people sheeple on the other side we're you know trying to coerce people into making a decision for the collective and maybe that's not what is driving your your motivation to get the vaccine for me personally it was so that i had the the freedom to travel Mm-hmm. Um And I live both in Canada and the United States. And so, like, being able to move back and forth between the two countries, like, like that was really the only option that made sense for me. And I was similar to you in that, like, I did watch all of my friends get vaccinated and and saw out in the world, like, oh, like, okay, so it's been a f- several months now and, and, like, it felt okay to me and my body. But for me personally, what came up is um i've done so much work around my sexual trauma healing and and it brought that all back up again you know mm. it brought up all this like underlying feeling of you know something is been, being done to me someone is telling me that this is actually good my body is saying no but my mind is saying it's not that bad mm. and those were all the layers that I needed to work through. And so there was no level of telling me all the stats and the facts and the article, this, and the story, this, that was going to convince me. Mm -hmm. What I needed to do was actually sit with that trauma and tell my nervous system, this is, this is okay. Mm -hmm. Like we can make this decision from a place of sovereignty and this is okay. Um, Instead of being like in my head space about it. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that there's so many people who are making this decision from a very heady, fear-driven, urgency-driven space. And we don't know what the repercussions of this is going to be years down the line.
1: No. Right? No. And I think, you know, for your listeners who may be feeling activated by this conversation, like, I would ask you to, let's take a vaccine. Let's take medical stuff off the table for a moment. Uh, Like, let's uh just take it completely off the table. Uh Let's not make this a conversation about, you know, a vaccine for personal sovereignty or not. Let's talk about what happened to you as a child. Uh Was something done to you that you didn't want? Uh Was your choice taken away from you? Were you ever put in a situation that you couldn't escape from and you couldn't fight back and you couldn't say no? you know was your body ever touched in a way that you didn't like or that didn't feel right for you like those are the questions that we have to ask ourselves because if the answers to those questions are yes which for most of us I'm guessing it is like we did have things happen to us that we didn't get a choice over we were too small to fight back we weren't allowed to say no our our own boundaries and our sovereignty was not respected
0: mm-hmm. and
1: so i think that is the underlying thread of this Mm -hmm. conversation for me is it's not so much about a vaccine or not. It's not really about medical choice at all. Really. Mm -hmm. It's about like, we have a lot of people in this world whose sovereignty was denied them when they were little. Mm -hmm. Um, they were sexually molested or assaulted. They had adults doing things that they didn't want them to do, but they weren't allowed to say no and they couldn't fight back and they didn't have the agency to leave. Mm -hmm. And so my work with holistic trauma healing is about taking someone who has had that experience and excavating the layers of that trauma and the way that their personal choice was stripped from them, the way Mm -hmm. their autonomy was not respected, the way they didn't have agency, the way they felt powerless, um, the way that they couldn't say no or if they did, their no wasn't honored. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And holistic trauma healing is about being able to excavate underneath all of that and be like returning to a place of like, you know what? That's really shitty that that happened to me, but I do have a choice now. I am Mm -hmm. reclaiming my body and my autonomy and my agency now. Mm -hmm. And the only way to take a nervous system who didn't feel safe because it didn't have agency and sovereignty and help it to heal and deactivate and come to a regulated place is to create a sense of safety. There's no healing. We can't even have a conversation about healing without talking about how that sense of safety has to be cultivated first. And if there's no sense of safety in your body, I don't care if you're 50 years old, if you haven't been able to go back to how your agency and autonomy was taken from you as a child and sit with that and do some inner child work and do some grief work Uh and take tangible, actionable steps to step back into your power, to consciously create your reality instead of running on the autopilot of, the ego's hidden programming, like mm-hmm. if you haven't been able to do that, then you aren't living as a sovereign person. Yeah, You're still living under the hidden programming of being controlled and manipulated by someone else, probably someone who was in authority over you, like a parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and so my work really is about pointing people back to themselves and about trusting themselves, trusting themselves to guide themselves, trusting themselves to feel into their bodies and like feel what yes feels like in your body feel what no feels like in your body like mm-hmm, mm-hmm. learning to distinguish that and it really has nothing to do with a medical choice like mm-hmm. if you if you end up making a medical choice from that place of sovereignty awesome but mm-hmm. if it doesn't end up leading to that place then at least we have brought you back to a place of feeling like you have some power and -hmm. you have some choice. And ultimately, this also leads to radical Mm self-responsibility because then you're able to say, you know what, what happened to me wasn't my fault. Like I didn't cause this. I didn't choose this. But what I do with it is my responsibility. And I can choose to continue living under the hidden programming, feeling like a victim, feeling like bad things always happen to me, not recognizing the sovereignty and the autonomy that I have, or I can choose to live from a place of power, a space of groundedness within myself. Mm -hmm. Um, Recognizing that living as an authentic person may mean that I'm not doing what's popular or acceptable at the time. Um, And just honoring my body and my choice and my yes and my no. And in my case, my, I'm waiting. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Thank you so much for bringing it back to childhood. And I think you spoke so beautifully of that person who's, who's, I mean, I feel like you were speaking directly to me in terms of <laughs> I was like, Speaking
1: to me too. <laughs> yeah,
0: that like big T trauma of having your sovereignty taken away of having, you know, somebody of authority telling you what's good and right for you and having to override the messages of fuck yes or fuck no in your body. And I also want to just acknowledge that not everyone has had that. But a theme that I'm seeing play out right now is the small T trauma of being a good girl mm. your whole life, right? Mm-hmm. Of And that may, again, may not have been this like big T trauma moment, but you know, if in your family you had to act a certain way you had to agree with certain belief systems you had to go along with ideals your voice wasn't welcome you know you weren't allowed to assert yourself you weren't allowed to have a different opinion and that was how you found belonging in your family and that was how you found safety in your family then this right now that's happening in the collective is really 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 threatening to your nervous system Mm -hmm. And so working with that piece as well of understanding, oh, this is how I have found safety and belonging and safety and belonging is like a fundamental core driver of our human behavior because we are herd animals and because um, we needed community to survive you know, like if you think about our ancestors being kicked out of our herd, being kicked out of our community, like almost certainly meant death. Yeah. And so there is a certain level of conformity that needed to happen in a lot of communities. And, and if that was a really, really strong culture in your family of origin, this might be activating that part of you, that inner child that is wanting to actually have a different opinion and doesn't know how to have a different opinion on either side of the spectrum, right? Mm -hmm. And that ego that is telling you, this is not safe, this is the story that I'm making up to keep you safe, those all might need to be addressed as you're working through these layers of trauma and what this is bringing up for you.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. And before we before you hit the record on this episode or you asked me if there was anything that I wanted to make sure that came through during Mm -hmm. this conversation. And I sat with that for a moment and just felt deeply within myself that if I could sum up this, this kind of a conversation in one sentence, it would be some people value freedom over safety and some people value safety over freedom and neither is wrong. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And so if, if you are one of the people who values freedom over safety, Mm -hmm. valuing freedom doesn't necessarily mean being an Mm anti-vaxxer. You know, I think a lot of people equate like, oh, if you're one of those like people who's talking about medical freedom, then that automatically makes you an Mm anti-vaxxer. And I've been telling my Instagram audience this and I've been losing followers right and left over it. But they want me to come out and they want me to, choose a side, right? They want me to choose a label for myself. Like they want me to come out as pro-vax or anti-vax. And I keep telling them, like, I know it would be easier for you if I would just give you a label to slap on me. And then I could be inside that box for you. And it would create that binary in your mind and in your body. And that would be so much easier for you to be able to process what I'm saying. But because I'm living in this gray of Mm -hmm. I believe in informed consent. Mm-hmm. And if you value freedom over safety and from a place of true freedom and sovereignty, you're like, you know what? I want this vaccine. I've read the benefits. I've read the risks. I know the ingredients. I understand what might or might not happen. And I'm choosing to proceed. <clears throat> mm-hmm. Like that is coming from a place of freedom.
2: Yeah.
1: Just like me saying, you know what? I'm not quite sure yet. I want to wait a little bit. That's also coming from a place of freedom. Mm -hmm. So just because you value freedom over safety doesn't mean that you're an anti-vaxxer. It doesn't mean you're a pro-vaxxer either. And a lot of my work has been teaching people about binary beliefs and Mm -hmm. how the nervous system, it's easier for the nervous system to default to a binary of just like, this is good, this is bad, this is right, this is wrong, this is healthy, this is unhealthy. You're pro-vaxx, you're anti-vaxx. Pro-mask, anti-max, like whatever. Anti, yeah. So... that is easier. It's true. It's easier. And social media especially seems to be filled with a lot of really binary nervous systems right now. Mm -hmm. And what I've realized in my work is that the nervous system is itself a binary. Its Mm -hmm. whole purpose is life and death, right? I mean, what other binary is greater than the life or death binary, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But that binary serves us when we're like, In the woods, and a bear is coming up behind us in the woods. Because in that moment, we don't have time to make a pros and cons list. We don't have time to, like, okay, what are the risks? What are the benefits? What are the potential side effects of what's going to happen to me right now? Like, you know, we don't have time for that. So, in that way, our nervous system as a binary is really, really efficient at our survival. Because in that moment, when you encounter a bear in the woods, you're not sitting there like, asking for a package insert and an ingredients list and a list of potential side effects of getting attacked by a bear. Like you're able to spring into action really quickly and determine if you're going to like get the heck out of the woods or if you're going to fight the bear. Mm -hmm. So in that way, it's really, really efficient, but that's not how most of us are living all of the time. We're not living with encountering bears in the woods, (laughs) you know? So it, but whenever there's this like sense of urgency created or this sense of fear that's created then it triggers our nervous system to go into that binary yeah. fight flight state yeah. where it's taking a situation that may not be actually about survival and making it about survival and therefore it's binary yeah. and we have to, To I think that the next evolution of our consciousness is going to be existing more in the gray and in mm-hmm. the the nuance and complexity. Mm-hmm. But in order to do that, again, you have to cultivate safety. Like yeah. you have to feel safe in your nervous system to be able to hold various perspectives and to make pros and cons lists and to weigh the benefits and the risks and all of that. Like you have to be able to be in a non-binary nervous system, which is really difficult for a lot of people because Mm -hmm. they're just in that activated state all the time. So,
0: and that's something that I talk about with my clients too, is as soon as you start narrowing down your choices to just two, like, you know, that you're in a sympathetic nervous system. Yes. 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 And so that's what we're seeing is like people dividing basically like having their activated nervous systems. One side is going this way. One side is going that way. And so we're seeing the two choices as, and that's how it's painted in media and in social media as well. And so they're painted as like you either go right or you go left and, and it's fight or flight. And, and I agree with you in that like our next level of consciousness that, you know i definitely feel the calling um is to in that moment of feeling that binary state of being is what can you do to self-regulate, to co-regulate with others in order to bring yourself back down to a place of safety? Because that's where you actually see options, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. That's where you're able to, to uncover some of this trauma work that you and I are doing with our clients. That's where we're able to step into that space of like, oh, so the person who is disagreeing with me is actually not my enemy.
1: Yeah.
0: And you know, we're both operating from a place of fear. And so I'm curious about what they're fearful about, what's their story? And
1: is there space for me to share what, what I'm fearful about and what my story is? Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I love that you and you brought in the word curiosity, curious. <laughs> and I think that's <laughs> That I mean, a binary nervous system doesn't know how to be curious, right? Because mm-hmm. again, it's just in that life and death state all the time. There's no time yeah. for curiosity when you're like having to figure out if you're going to fight the bear or run away from the bear. You don't exactly. have time to be curious. Exactly. So yeah, I think our, um, to the degree which we are able to be curious is also an indicator of where our nervous system is at mm-hmm. um, in terms of flexibility and resiliency, mm-hmm. right? mm mm-hmm. mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: And I think that you talk about, um, I, I want to make sure that I get the term right, the window of tolerance. Yeah. Um. I'd love for you to, like, bring in a little bit of that win- um, wisdom into, like, being able to stay curious and, and being able to, like, access those moments of parasympathetic while you might be feeling activated and triggered.
1: Yeah. So a window, your window of tolerance is... Um... I didn't coin that term. I'm not sure who did. <laughs> it may have been like Bessel van der Kolk or it may have been Sigmund Freud. I have no idea. But um, your window of tolerance is just basically like, what is the space in which you feel you can tolerate certain things? So it's easier, I think, to explain it using actual examples. So um, for example, I happen to be a really sensitive sleeper. So in order for me to feel like I can fall asleep, like I have to create the perfect sleeping environment. So it has to be a certain temperature. I have to have a ceiling fan going. I have to have an air purifier running. I have to have white noise going. Um, I have to have like light blocking curtains over my windows. I don't even want a a little bit of light, a shred of light to even come in through the windows. So That's because I have dealt with really chronic and bad insomnia for a large chunk of my life. And I am finally at a point now where I am sleeping well and regularly. (laughs) Um, Like, And it took me a long time to get to this place. And so I'm actually working with a coach myself right now. And one of the things that we're doing is trying to challenge my nervous system's window of tolerance to be wider and less sensitive. Mm-hmm. So can I sleep with the curtains slightly open? Can I maybe turn the volume of my white noise down slightly? Mm-hmm. Can I handle, you know, a warmer room than I'm used to? Like all these different things. And that's to to expose the nervous system just a little bit to what makes it uncomfortable, so to widen what you are capable of tolerating.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So, um, and all of my work and probably your work as well in, mm-hmm. in coaching is helping people to widen their windows of tolerance. Like yeah. a lot of us have such sensitive nervous systems that our windows of tolerance are really, really small. And Mm -hmm. so anything outside of our normal routine, anything outside of the people we normally hang out with, anything outside of the diet we have decided is safe for us, like anything outside of that becomes very threatening and it Mm -hmm. activates the nervous system. And so as we gently widen the window of tolerance, people are able to tolerate more and more and more. And this goes for like physical things like Changes in your sleeping environment or changes in your diet, but it also goes for things like when you're having conversations with people that you disagree with, you know, like if you have a really small window of tolerance, anyone disagreeing with you may feel like an actual threat to your life. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. I think we're seeing that on social media a lot where people take one post or one comment or one infographic Mm -hmm. and they're so outraged by it. They're so offended by it. It's so triggering and so activating to them that they explode like a bomb, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And it's because they have a small window of tolerance. And that post or that infographic or that comment was pushing (laughs) way outside the bounds of that window of tolerance and they clearly cannot tolerate it. And you know, the tricky thing is is that they're not in awareness. They're not in consciousness. So then they make it about the other person. They make it Mm -hmm. about the post or they make it about the comment rather than being able to sit with like, okay, how, why is this activating to me? Why is this coming up for me? What is this reminding me of from my past? When have I felt this way before? Um, you know, coming back into that space of curiosity. Right. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that did that answer your question about the, the window of tolerance? It does.
0: And just to bring it back to, um, what we're talking about, which I think it's such a beautiful physical example is like when we widen the window of tolerance, actually, let me say it this way. When your world becomes really, really small like, again, that's an indicator of of being in the sympathetic nervous system, right? Mm-hmm. Of, like, I only hang out with the people who agree with me. I only, you know, eat the foods that agree with my system. Like, Like, we can expand this out into so many different ways. But what happens when we widen that window of tolerance, both in your nervous system state, but also in relationships, is we build resilience. And so I think about... You know, my two closest relationships is my boyfriend and my business partner. And with both of them, we have done so much work to widen our window of tolerance with each other. Because we, like, I disagree with them all the freaking time, right? And the easy thing would be to just say, okay, like, let's just agree to disagree, which is actually, like, a passive-aggressive way of, like, like, cancel culture, um, because it's saying, like, let's shut down this conversation, I actually don't want to hear anymore, it's really, um, like, there's, like, a culture of misattunement that happens, um, whenever, like, that phrase, let's just agree to disagree, comes up, and, And actually, like, what we've done to cultivate in our relationships is, like, when there's a disagreement and our nervous systems are activated, it's like, okay, like, let's do our own work to self-regulate and come back to a state of, like, okay, like, I can come to this conversation. For me, I need to take a walk around the block. Like, that just, it needs to happen. Otherwise, this conversation is not going to turn out well. Right? And... And because we've done so much work and not gone down the path of let's agree to disagree, and instead we've come to this place of, like, I want to understand you, like, I feel the deepest sense of belonging with these two men. And, and that is where a relationship becomes more resilient, right? It doesn't come from a place of, you know, We agree with every single little thing together. But if we can all come to, like, a place, and again, this comes from, you know, deep trauma work. It comes from working on regulating your own nervous system it's working on finding the the people in your life you can co-regulate with this is this is not easy shit we're coming to right and 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 if we can come to a place where we can try to understand each other I feel like that's where we are able to widen that window of tolerance in our relationships
1: yeah and I you know I'm really glad that you brought that up too because I think that our society is um has been in the really bad uh, habit of relationships being created where both people in the relationship are in a hardcore fawn response. Mm. And so, you know, we learned that like in school growing up. Like I went to a very clicky, um, I lived in a very clicky town, and the school that I went to growing up was a very clicky school. So, like, it, you had different groups of kids the band nerds and the athletes and the popular girls and the yearbook people and like you know you had all these different cliques and the cliques very rarely ever mixed together you know everyone stayed separated mm-hmm. and If you wanted to be part of one of those cliques, you couldn't just show up as yourself the way you were because you might be too nerdy for the popular people. You might be too pretty for the nerds. You might not be athletic enough to fit in with the jocks. Like, so there was all, and so you would have to modify yourself in some way in order to find that belonging and fit in, right? So we like started out at a very young age learning how to change ourselves and modify ourselves in order to fit in and find belonging. Mm-hmm. so then we're adults and the basis of most of our relationships i might even i might dare say all of our relationships has been formed by changing and modifying ourselves to find belonging and to fit yeah. in and to avoid conflict
2: mm-hmm.
1: and so when you begin to heal and wake up to consciousness and awareness and learn about regulating your nervous system and learn about the effects that trauma has had on your physical body. And, and, and you're thinking for yourself and you're living in curiosity. You're remaining in question. Like when you do all of these things, that fawn response doesn't align with who you are anymore. Mm-hmm. And so you change and modify yourself less and less in order to fit in. But if that's the foundation of your relationships, then when you start changing yourself and no longer modifying yourself to fit in, yes. but you're showing up fully authentic, fully in your integrity, fully sovereign, mm-hmm. that is going to piss some people off. Yeah. And it's pretty likely that you're going to lose relationships because mm-hmm. that relationship was only held together By you changing and modifying yourself to belong. And so, you know, this is going to feel really uncomfortable for a lot of people because I mean, I know for me personally, like I was, I have a PhD in fawning. Okay. Like (laughs) I know how to change and modify myself to fit in pretty much anywhere. Um, even to the point of like, I will change my accent based on who I'm talking to. Mm-hmm. And I do it completely subconsciously. Like I don't realize I'm doing it because mm-hmm. the the fond response is so ingrained in me that even to feel like I belong to someone who has a different accent than me, I have to like modify my accent to mm-hmm. mimic or mirror theirs. You know, I mean, it's a, it's a whole, it's a deep thing. But I think what we're seeing now is it's like, these generations of people who are fawning all the time. Mm -hmm. um, It's coming to light that this isn't working for us anymore. Right? Like we have people who are like, fuck that. I've been Mm -hmm. like changing and modifying myself. I don't know who the fuck I am because I've been trying to fit in my whole life by being like other people and by yeah. saying what's expected of me and doing what's expected of me and wearing what's expected of me and like everybody else has told me or I've received the message from everyone else just by watching and observing that this is what I need to do to fit in mm-hmm. and now I'm like like I don't want to dress that way I don't want to talk that way I don't want to do those things I don't want to like I'm not going to change myself anymore, Mm -hmm. but that's going to throw off the dynamic of the relationship because that relationship was held in place by you changing and modifying yourself to fit in. And so like on an individual level, don't be surprised if you lose some friendships, but on a collective level, don't be surprised if the collective is pissed off at you. Because, and, and this also like ties in perfectly with what you were saying earlier about the good girl. Good girls yeah. are fond types, right? Yeah. Constantly changing and modifying ourselves to fit in, to be the good girl, to be like accepted. So, when you're like, no, I'm not going to be the good girl anymore. Yeah. I'm not actually going to just like smile and nod anymore, like I mm-hmm. pretend to agree with you. Mm-hmm. I'm actually thinking for myself now. I'm actually asking critical questions. I'm actually curious. I'm actually in a place of awareness. Like, I'm completely grounded in myself and in my sovereignty. So, whenever you confront me with this, like, this expectation that you have of me, I'm now able to be like, eh no, that's not working for me anymore. I'm not, I'm not going to do that anymore. And for a collective that primarily is existing in a constant fear state, Mm -hmm. then me living in my authenticity, you living in your authenticity, not changing and modifying ourselves to fit in and belong anymore. Mm -hmm. That is going to be a threat to Mm -hmm. the collective. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I see it as like, yes, we're reclaiming like our sovereignty and part of that is making peace with the fact that that's going to change the dynamic of a lot of our relationships yeah. in ways that may feel really uncomfortable and in mm-hmm. ways that we don't like. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. the alternative is to go back to changing and modifying yourself to fit in, which yeah. is the very opposite of living in your sovereignty.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think what you're speaking to is this is really the difference between fitting in and belonging.
2: Mm,
0: yes. Right? Yes. Because to fit in means that you have to self-abandon in order to like receive that love. And belonging is you just have to be yourself. Absolutely. To receive that love. Yeah. Absolutely. And my example,
1: ahead. my my very best friend in the whole world has had the COVID vaccine. Mhm. I haven't. Mhm. It hasn't come up at all. Mhm. <laughs> We don't talk about it and it's not because we're avoiding it. Mm-hmm. It's because it doesn't matter.
2: Yeah.
1: Like that is not going to be the determiner of my relationship with this person. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. my relationship with her is, I mean, other than my relationship with my husband, she's the person I'm closest to in the world, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so do we always agree? No. mm mm-hmm. Like, do we make the same choices? No, mm-hmm. but we love each other and we belong mm-hmm. together. So that means I'm not having to change and modify myself to fit in.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I already belong and she belongs to me. Mm-hmm. And it's not because we believe and say and do the same things. Mm-hmm. It's because that's, that. Sh- if if you're basing your, your, whether or not someone can belong with you based on what they say or do or how they act or how, what they wear like that is such surface level mm-hmm, shit mm-hmm. like and that's that's fitting in you know quote yeah. unquote fitting in yeah. but like belonging is so much deeper there's yeah. like it doesn't matter what your differences are you like yeah. still belong with each other because you love and respect each other mm-hmm. so deeply and you recognize that whatever a person whatever their opinion is about a certain thing or like whatever is just a fragment of who they are as a person that is not the entirety of their being yeah and so you don't base whether or not you're going to have a relationship with them on these like small surface level things
0: yeah yeah and like what it comes down to for me is when when I started learning how to be sovereign in my own choices and in my own decisions and feeling like that deep rooted anchored sense of feeling connected to my body I started trusting my decisions more Mm -hmm. which in turn meant that I stopped trying to control other people
1: Mm -hmm.
0: and started trusting their decisions more
1: isn't it amazing how that reciprocates yeah (laughs) Because when I trust myself more, I trust other people to make their own choices too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>
0: it's amazing. Because so much of it is around, like, like if I used to be so controlling. <laughs> I mean, like, I come from, like, a long line of, like, type A personality fauners. Same, and, girl. Yeah. <laughs> Same. And and what I'm realizing that is, like, when I dig in deeper, like, I am the first woman in my maternal lineage to be able to have choices.
2: Mm.
0: I come from an immigrant family. My mother was not allowed to choose who she married. Her husband was chosen for her. They are happily married now, but it it was an arranged marriage, and. Um, And then going back and back and back and back, I mean, it doesn't, you don't get freedom as you go back, right? And so what you're speaking to in terms of the, the importance of freedom versus safety, like for me, freedom is so, so important because in my lifetime, I have witnessed a woman who had no choice and I grew up with a woman who had no choice. And so she was, because she was not given the choice, to make very, very big decisions about her life, she didn't feel sovereign in her own body. Mm-hmm. and and so in return, she tried to control a lot of the things that I did, my activities, my body, right. And so like when we look at these projections, right and these ideas of control, it really goes back to like, how much work have you done on your own traumas, right? And my mom, like, in her, actually right around the age that I'm at right now, which is 36, she started doing her own work and started, like, really diving in deeper and and creating choices for herself. And that's when she started allowing me to make decisions that felt really sovereign to me. I can, I can very tangibly like feel that shift. And that was when she gave me the choice to, you're allowed to go to church or not go to church. You're allowed to do violin or not do violin. You know, these, these big things at the time were in my life I got to make a sovereign decision about and it all came from this place of her making and starting to make sovereign decisions about her own life mm. and so if you find yourself in that cycle of hmm control like it makes I think the curious inquiry there is where are you not trusting in your own decisions and to stop trying to control everybody else around you because it gives you this illusion of safety. And instead, come, as you say in your work, like go back within mm-hmm. and see where you can give your own power back to yourself instead of trying to control other people. And then, like, the other piece that came up for me as you were speaking is my first inclination that I'm falling back into that fawning pattern is when I start feeling resentful. Mm. Because it becomes this thing of, I've given you so much, and by so much, I mean I've given you myself. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Why aren't you returning and reciprocating that for me? That's when I have to check in with myself and be like, okay, so I'm feeling resentment. Where am I Mm self-abandoning? And where do I need to you know toughen up my shores and really come back in to myself and stop trying to get approval and get validation and 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 fit in with the community around me
1: yeah it's almost like you're like well i've been fawning for you why aren't you fawning for me Yeah. Kind of. (laughs) (laughs) I'm resentful because I've been fawning for you, but you're not fawning for me. But like, think, think about that though. So if that, if that is what your relationship is based on Mm -hmm. is like, we fawn for each other. Mm
0: -hmm. Is
1: that authentic? Right. (laughs) Like,
0: that's what I mean is fitting in versus belonging. Right.
1: It's not authentic. And, and again, Mm -hmm. like I, we could go in circles because like sovereignty leads to belonging which leads back to sovereignty, which leads to belonging. Like, Mm -hmm. authenticity leads to belonging, which leads to authenticity. Like, like, all of my work is like, I don't care if I'm teaching about binary belief systems. I don't care if I'm teaching about trauma responses. I don't care if I'm teaching about inner child work. I don't care if I'm teaching about um, ancestral healing. Like, whatever it is, it always comes back to self. Like... Mm -hmm. I'm pointing my people back to themselves. Do not Mm -hmm. look at me and think you're going to find an answer. If you're inspired Mm -hmm. by my life, amazing. But -hmm. I'll tell you what I did. I found myself,
2: Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. you know,
1: and like I came back to myself. I reclaimed Mm -hmm. the power that was A, taken away from me in childhood, and then B, that I gave away when I grew up and became an adult because I was so used to having my power taken away. Like I might as well just keep giving it away. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it it always comes back to self and I get a lot of criticism, um, on my work because I believe that perpetrators deserve to heal too. Mm -hmm. And, I've been called like anything from like victim blaming, victim shaming, spiritual bypassing, like all of these different things. And I think it's because our society, again, is like such, we've all been fawning for each other. (laughs) And we learned a long time ago that you know, in school or we see it in the media all the time, we see it with celebrities that if people fuck up, they get ostracized from community. Yeah. You know, like they're not allowed in anymore. If they're not following the narrative, they don't, they don't belong anymore. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and like, I don't believe that because Mm -hmm. I know that under the right circumstances, I'm capable of intense harm as well. Mm -hmm. You know, like I, I, I know that I have hurt people in my life. I mean, I've never, I don't think I've ever physically hurt someone, but I know that I have emotionally wounded people in my life. I know that I have emotionally hurt my own children, Mm -hmm. you know, does that mean that I need to be ostracized from community and I don't get to, to teach about holistic trauma healing anymore? No, Mm -hmm. but it, it means that I am human and so are you. And I acknowledge like where, trauma has manifested in my life and how I have taken that out on other people because I wasn't in a space of sovereignty to regulate myself and I made it someone else's fault and anytime we're making something someone else's fault we're going back into victim consciousness instead of living in self-sovereignty and that's not to say like Of course, I know I've heard all of these arguments. Of course, even as adults, people do things to us against our will. Like adult women get raped. Adult women get sexually assaulted. Um, Like that happens and that really sucks. And that doesn't mean that you chose it and it doesn't mean that you were like putting out some kind of low vibe energy that attracted that to yourself. Like, no, that is all bullshit. Mm -hmm. But even when you are put into like a no win situation as an adult after that you still have the sovereignty to choose what you're going to do with it moving forward Mm
2: -hmm, mm -hmm.
1: and when you recognize that like that no matter what's happened to you you have the choice of what you're going to do with it no matter what decision is in front of you you have the choice to make that decision on your own you don't need somebody else's help unless you ask for it Mm -hmm. um then again, you just keep coming back to yourself and it's all about uncovering the layers of yourself, your ego, your inner child wounding, like all of those different layers that are, you know, you can choose the metaphor that you like, but they become like boxes we put ourselves in. They become masks that we wear. They become, uh, crusts that we have on the outside of us that they're, they're layers of the onion. Like you choose the metaphor, but, um, It's all about returning to self. So whether it's making a medical decision or it's choosing what you're going to do about the sexual assault you endured, like it's still, it always comes back to yourself. Like, what are you choosing? How are you taking responsibility for yourself?
0: Mm -hmm. I want to just microcosm and macrocosm this a little bit because I think it's such an important concept. Um, And societally we do this we we create a binary we create a good guy and a bad guy we create a perpetrator and a victim yeah and you know i think that perpetrators do need consequences for their actions for sure but ostracizing them from society and from community is actually just fracturing that part of you know our collective our world our community that we we just don't want to look at anymore Yep. right Yep. and if we microcosm that in to our own selves we all have parts within mm-hmm. right um i don't know if you're familiar with like internal family systems but that's one of the 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 spaces that i love studying and it really speaks to we all have different aspects of ourselves you know you call them crusts layers you know masks and and they have all helped us survive Mm -hmm. in some way in our in our lives and to I think a lot of times as people get into personal development work it turns into this like love and light sort of situation where what you're actually doing in love and light philosophy I don't know, strategy, um, is you're fracturing those parts of you that you don't want to look at and putting them into a box, putting them into a part of you that you can't access anymore. Mm -hmm. And what happens is that doesn't actually go away. Yeah. You know, it ends up mutating. And so if you struggled with anger in your family because you had anger just projected and spewed at you and then as an adult you now are scared to look at anger because that was an unsafe place for you and so you end up shoving anger into like this deep dark corner in your heart that doesn't actually make the anger go away no it just mutates it right yeah and you know, in my work, I call it emotional alchemy because I think that when we look at some of these shadowy parts of ourselves, and we look at these parts that um, that culture tells us we should fracture, um, what we end up doing is we end up alchemizing that emotion. And we need anger, right? We need anger to tell us, like, what inherently feels like a fuck no in our body. Yeah. And if you think about anger and the role it's played in our culture, like every single, you know, social justice movement comes from a seed of that's just not right, which is anger. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: Right. And so when we fracture these, these very, very real emotions, these very real parts of ourselves, whether you call them your inner child, whether you call them masks or projections or your ego, um, we end up creating and 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 re-traumatizing those parts of ourselves Mm -hmm. by not looking at them
1: yeah yeah I it's it's so interesting that you bring that up I've been wanting to study internal family systems for quite some time but Mm -hmm. I between like my podcast and my own hiring my own coach and having my own coaching program I just haven't had time Yeah. but I was in um, meditation and ceremony the other day And what came through and I actually like hopped on my Instagram live and I like did a live video because it was like I was channeling a message Mm -hmm. and the message that came through was what you other in another you other in yourself Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and that we like to pretend that the thing that we're pointing our finger at about somebody else like, well, that doesn't exist in me. Like, no, hell no, that doesn't exist in me. You know, I'm not a racist. I'm not a crazy anti-vaxxer. I'm not a insert label here, right? (laughs) And, but really, because you are your own, like you are a micro universe, right? I am a micro universe. The, The big universe is a reflection of what is inside of each of us. Like we have the same minerals and atoms that make up the universe, make up us, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Everything exists in the universe. Every idea, every belief, every thought form, every, every entity, like everything exists in the universe, which means everything exists inside of me. Mm -hmm. Everything exists inside of you. Mm -hmm. And when I pretend that those things that I don't like in someone else don't exist inside of me, I'm actually just like, I'm deluding myself and (laughs) like I'm shining a spotlight on, I'm not a racist. I'm not a crazy anti-vaxxer. I I think I'm shining the light on them and their faults, but really it's just making that thing that already exists inside of me that I like to deny isn't there. It actually shines a light on it and makes it brighter. Mm -hmm. And so I'm trying to other it in another, but it exists in me. And therefore, I'm othering myself. Yeah. I'm fragmenting parts of myself. I'm denying that those things exist inside of me, but they do because they exist in every single one of us. Mm-hmm.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: when you understand that, then you, you I don't know how you cannot understand that every person is their own sovereign being. Right because everything exists inside of each one of us. And it is our own choice, whether consciously or unconsciously, because some people are making unconscious choices. They don't realize that the choices they're making are creating their reality, but they are. So whether it's an unconscious or a conscious choice, those things exist inside of me, just like they exist in you. And if I other them in you, I'm actually just like shining a greater light on the fact that that thing exists in myself. I'm just living in denial about it. So it is like you're saying that that part of you gets like tucked into a corner and we cover it up with like an old blanket or something. And we're like, you know, do not disturb. Do not Mm -hmm. go here. Like nothing to see here, (laughs) you know? And we, we, we are othering ourselves and the root of, at least at least what i've seen in my own perspective ever since like probably march 2020 i mean when the pandemic was declared i guess is just this like chronic othering of yeah. everyone yeah. and i would i would go so far as to say that if you feel like you have to other someone else you are not living as a sovereign person
0: mm-hmm. 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 i think For me, what that brings up is the more and more I do this work, the more I teach, the more I work with clients, triggers and activated nervous systems like, is an invitation to do the work.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: And so I think about triggers as being invitational in nature because it really is bringing up this piece of like, oh this part of me has not been healed.
1: Absolutely. I completely agree with you. I say Mm -hmm. that triggers are the nervous system's way of giving you opportunities to heal whatever Mm -hmm. the thing is. And it comes up over and over and over. And most people are like, oh, I can't deal with it. I don't even want to see it. It's a trigger for me. I can't handle it, whatever. But if you actually sit there and face it,
2: Mm -hmm.
1: you widen your window of tolerance, (laughs) you know, you increase your ability to handle and sit with that thing that makes you so uncomfortable. And that is your nervous system giving you an opportunity to heal. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: So I'm actually a big fan of like people facing their triggers and I don't do any kind of trigger warnings or content warnings on any of my stuff because Mm a, it would be like impossible because anything can be a trigger for anybody. And there's absolutely no way to be able to um, guess what that is before, but also like my work is about empowerment and someone who is living in avoidance of their triggers is not living in an empowered place. Mm
2: -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: And, and I would even, again, I would go so far as to say not living in a sovereign place because then you are allowing what is happening outside of you to dictate your internal state. That's not sovereignty. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and I love what you said about like actually sitting with those triggers w- widens your window of tolerance. It's hard. That has, that's fucking hard.
1: It's so right? hard. <laughs> it's so hard. Yeah. I have to, I'm like I said, I'm working with a coach right now. And it's interesting that you brought up control issues earlier because one of the big things, I mean, I have a podcast about trauma healing. I do coaching. I do trauma education. My whole Instagram feed is about it. And I still am dealing with deeply rooted control Mm -hmm. issues, just like white knuckling certain things in my life that I'm terrified Mm -hmm. to just let go of, but Mm -hmm. I'm, and and I wasn't getting it on my own. So that's why I hired a coach. It was like, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not DIYing this anymore. I need some (laughs) help. (laughs) So I, and she has, she's been helping me immensely with control issues. And Mm -hmm. it's been amazing that, some of the ways that I've released control have been by not, um, being so like focused on what my partner is doing Mm -hmm. and what's happened has been something that I never ever would have imagined. And that is that like, I'm watching my partner blossom Mm -hmm. and do these things that before I would have to like nag him to do or nitpick him to do. But because now I've like taken my hands off of it and I'm like, you know what, what you do is your thing. If you, if you violate a boundary of mine, I'll let you know. But other than that, like, I'm not going to control what you're doing. And what's crazy is he's actually doing the things I've wanted him to do all along. (laughs) but he couldn't do it whenever I was trying to control him into doing it. So that's like one way that I was not living in my sovereignty, because if you're trying to control other people, you're not living as a sovereign person because then again, you're saying that my internal state is dictated by what's happening outside of me. So yeah, I mean, that, I hope your listeners know that, like, the work never ends. I don't care if you have a podcast, if you're a coach. I don't care what letters you have behind your name. Like, this is a journey that it never has an end. But, um, And I would even say, like, there are, certain, there are certain parts about dealing with control issues that is even more uncomfortable to me mm-hmm. than dealing with, like, other things that I've healed, you know? Yeah. Because I didn't yeah. realize what a... Uh, what is the word? Like how, how much my ego relied on control (laughs) to feel like it was surviving in the world, you know? So like, it's been a big one for me to work on. But again, I've got to point myself, I've got to come back to myself. And my coach points me back to myself all the time. Like this isn't about my partner. This isn't Mm -hmm. about the people who follow me on Instagram. This is about me. This is about what Mm -hmm. I do with it. This is about Mm -hmm. my choice. Like, Sovereignty, sovereignty, sovereignty. <laughs> yeah. yeah,
0: And I think it's so important to, to mention that. And there are so many people in the coaching space that at least I see this out there and I just call bullshit on it around like appearing perfect and, and curating this idea of, okay, like once you meet me up here on the top of the mountain, like everything is like swell times. Right. And for me it's yes, it is swell times. Also it still continues to be hard, but that resilience that we were just talking about is what makes those hard times easier and and like less frequent because I'm not as triggered mm-hmm. by much
1: anymore. Yeah. Not everything is an emergency anymore. Yeah.
0: Yeah. (laughs) And it gives you the capacity to actually step into that parasympathetic space where you can see your options, Mm -hmm, right? mm -hmm. And and that's what sitting at the top of the mountain really looks like is it's still fucking hard and you still have to do work. And it gets different
1: (laughs) yeah because if you think about it it it's easier from from the top of a mountain like your perspective is so much wider right Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. you can see so much more Mm -hmm. um so yes let's all get to the top of the mountain together absolutely yeah but let's not pretend that sitting up there is easy it just means that we have more perspective right
0: and it's important to note too, because like I too have relied on support and, and I've tried to DIY so many things and then decided eventually I can't, I can't. Right. And, and what I personally get from my relationship with my mentors and my coaches is co-regulation. Absolutely. And, and I think that that's, what's really important to anybody who's out there listening in terms of what kind of support you might be looking for, like always keep that. I don't care if you work with me, if you work with Lindsay, like again, sovereignty. Right. And like, it always has to get pointed back to safety. Yep. So whoever makes you feel safe to show up, that person is going to help you co-regulate and feel safe as you come up against these triggers as you come up against these like difficult barriers and these places that have felt really sticky for you mm-hmm. in the past and so to me like i don't care how many letters you have in the back of your name when i'm looking for a coach i want to sit with that person and check in with my nervous system and see how safe my nervous system feels that's the only marker yeah. Yeah. of of why i hire or not hire a coach
1: yeah totally mm-hmm. couldn't agree more yeah. Hmm.
0: Just want to check in with you. Is there anything else you feel like needs to be said into the space here?
1: I don't think so. This has been such a great chat. Mm. I, feel, I feel like at one point we might have gotten a little bit off, like on a tangent, but I don't know. I it feel happens. really good about it because it, it just keeps <laughs> leading back to sovereignty, which was the whole reason we were having this conversation. <laughs> yes. So no, yes. I, I think this has been amazing.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well... We have covered so much together, Lindsay. I hope that this has been a helpful conversation for my listeners, your listeners, and I would love for you to share how folks can find you so they can also Instagram stalk you like I do every day.
1: Oh, cool. Okay. (laughs) So (laughs) on Instagram, I am at I am Lindsay Lockett. That is my my handle, and it's Lindsay with an E-Y as the universe intended. Um, And my podcast is called The Holistic Trauma Healing Podcast. You can find it on iTunes, Spotify, pretty much every other podcasting platform, or you can also stream it from my website, lindsaylockett.com. Um, and I do a one-on-one holistic trauma healing coaching program, which is a 12 week program with six private coaching sessions, weekly homework assignments, um, access to me in between sessions on Slack to ask questions and receive support as well as a lifetime membership to my private online community, the trauma healer circle. And my private online community, the trauma healer circle is also open to people who don't hire me as their coach, but want to be in community with other people who are on this journey of consciously creating their best possible reality and doing so from a place of deep love and deep sovereignty. So that I think is pretty much all the places that (laughs) anybody could find me or want to work with me. (laughs) <laughs> awesome.
0: And I think you had mentioned before we hit record that you have a freebie that you wanted to. Oh yeah. Share?
1: Yeah. So, um I'm doing a, one of my very favorite nervous system healing tools that will absolutely help you widen your window of tolerance and create more resiliency and flexibility in your nervous system is cold plunges. And so I'm doing a freebie um that I'll be giving away if you if you want, you can find it at lindsaylocket.com forward slash cold plunge. Um, but it's a video and then just my thoughts on cold plunges, what they've done for me, why I think they're such an amazing tool for building resiliency and flexibility in the nervous system, widening your window of tolerance, like being able to tolerate uncomfortable things. Um, they've just been a great, great tool for me. And so I wanted to share that with other people. So that's where you can find that freebie on cold plunges.
0: Amazing. Well, thank you so much for hopping on, having a conversation with me, and, and I'll see you around. Okay, thanks, Kat.